0: Welcome to Dialogue Wheel, a video and audio podcast hosted by me, Andy Burkowski. It's a little bit frightening, honestly, to jump back into the world of video game radio after so much time off, but I really did want to share my perspective on the worlds video games create and start a dialogue with the like-minded out there on what these games have to say, the lore, the narrative structures, and that impact on you and me. VGS or video game sophistry started as a simple YouTube channel to show off the different bioware games that I was playing. Since that time, over a hundred million views, I was able to take this idea and create a radio show, bring it to syndication on radio stations across the country. Dialogue Wheel will be a weekly show about creating that dialogue, exploring the worlds in video games with developer interviews, but mostly diving into the games you love and blowing them apart. Discovering everything there is to discover and extending what I wanted to do with VGS at the beginning. Respecting, loving, and getting to know what these games are about. This week, I took a dive into the archives to share a never-before-heard interview with the lead writer of the Dragon Age series, Patrick Weeks. Back in 2017, I spoke with Weeks for hours all about his work with Bioware and some of the characters he developed. One of those characters in the Dragon Age universe is the eponymous Solus. Hear now how Solus was created, what motivates this character, and get a glimpse on how these choices will lead into Dragon Age 4. Again, we're speaking to Patrick Weeks, the lead writer on Dragon Age, now he was a major writer in Dragon Age Inquisition, we've been talking about the characters Iron Bull and Krem, an amazing transgender character, we really went in depth. About those two characters. Now, there's one character that I received the most questions about when I noticed I was going to be talking, when I told people I'll be talking to you. Which character do you think that is, Patrick?
1: Well, I have to think it's Horsemaster Dennett. I know Horsemaster Dennett has been a fan favorite. I don't see anyone having questions about Solus.
0: No, no. See, I want to know what happened to that guy after the credits rolled. (laughs) That's what I need to know, and I'm here to find answers.
1: Where is Horsemaster Dennett now? (laughs) What is he doing?
0: Is he going to be involved in a (laughs) DLC? What did he have to do with Flemeth? All of very, very important questions. Unfortunately, no. Solus. Tell us about little old Solus. In talking about your other characters that you created, we always start from the beginning. So pen to paper, how did the idea of Solus first start? What was that first iteration?
1: Um, So actually, uh, Dave and Mike both, you know, uh, we, everyone knew where Solus, everyone knew who Solus was. Uh, Everyone knew what the ending was going to be with him and um, you know Dave and Mike said okay well uh, you know Dave is writing a ton of the crit path the main part of the game Dave really wants to do uh, Dorian that's very important to him and um, are you comfortable writing this guy this are you comfortable writing someone who is going to be, in some respects, deceiving the Inquisitor for the entirety of the game? And honestly, how do you turn that down?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, really, it was that simple. Then, uh, from there, I guess, in the way you described it, so they already had some ideas and some concepts about what Solus needed to bring, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: originally, um, I apologize for anyone. Um, you should probably fast forward if you haven't played the game yet.
0: It's been months, but, um, folks. Come on now.
1: It's been, it's been a while. But, um, yeah, I mean, originally it was it was at one of the most difficult parts of writing him. And, you know, I, I said Iron Bull was the one who was closest to how I originally planned him. Uh, Solus uh, and Cole actually probably tied for uh, least like
0: mm-hmm. how I
1: originally wrote them um, and how they shipped. And really, it was getting past the secret. It was getting past Fen'Harel, because what everyone had for Solus was, you know, uh, it's Iron Bull, okay, you got, you got badass former spy, the opposite of Sten. Okay, we, we got Blackwall, Blackwall, okay, he's an awesome Grey Warden who's actually not a Grey Warden. Oh my God, that's fantastic and cool. Okay, Solus. he's Fen'Harel. Can he, can, he, can he tell you he's Fen'Harel? No. Okay, well, what are we going to talk about? Hey, Inquisitor, I'm still not Fen'Harel. Do you have any questions? I will not take questions about whether I'm Fen'Harel. And that was the big stumbling block to writing him. Mm-hmm. Um, I originally, I remember the first draft. Um, the first draft, all we talked about was elves. It was elves all the time. And every conversation went, elves, elves, elves were awesome back in the old days. Everything was great with elves. And then you would go, so you like elves? And he went, no, shut up. I'm not (laughs) Fen'Harel. And we all kind of looked at that and went, that's really not much of a character hook. Uh, You cannot have a character hook built on something that you only reveal after the player has watched the credits. So we ended up, that's how we got to Fade Expert, because... Fade Expert was something where, if, if something had gone terribly wrong, if we had, you know, six months from shipped looked at this and realized, wow, it turns out we actually don't want to do anything with elves in the future, we could have, we could have taken the Dread Wolf out of the equation entirely, and a mage named Solus who, uh, who loved the Fade, is an apostate, but without all of the fear and anger that you think of when you think of an apostate. Um, but is just this guy who wants to travel through dreams and find mysteries and explore. That was a good enough character to stand by itself, and that's you know that that was what it took us a couple of drafts to get to.
0: Really? So, what were I guess that you you mentioned the first two phases <laughs> <laughs> of Solas. And, uh, you know, share, I guess, a little more of that journey of when you finally got to this character that could stand alone by itself. Because it is, like you said, a much different sort of procedure that you had than you had for other characters because you couldn't talk about their their prime directive. So, yeah, if you don't mind, uh, another iteration, a little more through that journey before you finally came or was it just that those first two, and now everything's gold?
1: Yeah, in the first draft, he was uh, he was elves, elves. But I don't like elves. And then uh, in the next draft that came through, um, it was always a question of how much to tell. Uh, I think in the next draft, it was significantly closer. Anyone who looked at that draft, and you know, uh, I apologize to anyone who looked at that draft, but uh, anyone who looked at that draft, you would find. Places where, oh, okay, that's that's the solace I know and love. There he is. He, <laughs> he likes the fade. That's something actually interesting. Um, but he lied a lot more. Um, and it actually, it really weakened his character. Uh, because the, the interesting thing, and it, it, it's funny because we, we played it so close with both Blackwall and Solus is that both characters... Um, are the liars who don't actually lie. They, uh, they will tell you almost truths. Uh, with Blackwall, Blackwall never flat out says, I am a great warden. You say, Blackwall, what's it like being a warden? And Blackwell will say, a warden embodies this, and a warden embodies that. You know, I've been blessed in my travels. And, you know, he never quite says, I'm a warden. Um, and in Sol- with Sol, it's all the same way with the hand wave of, in the fade. Um, mm-hmm. You would, you. I would start putting in the fade at the end of a lot of sentences. Um, yeah, it turns out that um, all of the stuff you thought was true in history was wrong because I saw it in the fade. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Duh, ellipsis, ellipsis.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Sorry, I'm not Cinderella in the fade. That's right. Um, and so it's he. In the yeah in the in in revision two he lied a lot more he was much more uh you know i was trying to establish a different character, and on one hand it worked on the other hand, it really made it um it made it less tragic and more jerk when we got the reveal mm-hmm. um and so that's kind of how we got to okay here's the place we're at um you know where where what we what we eventually made him into this um this this character who is intelligent, um, wise—I would say—in some, you know, I, I definitely drew from the same place uh, where I wrote Morden. In terms of this is a character who is um, who is all about intellect. Um, where he completely differs from Morden is in how he presents. Morden will let you hear everything he's thinking. Uh, Solus will will think very carefully before he tells you anything, and anything he tells you is exactly as much as he wants you to know um, and that actually led to one of the uh, one of the, the the funny little game moments. one of the last things we do after we 've written is go through and um, add the places where characters approve or disapprove. And, you know, we, we, we do that a lot at the major character moments. We do those very early. The, oh, hey, you, uh, if you banish the Wardens, these characters are unhappy, uh, and these other ones approve. If you uh, recruit the Grey Wardens, then um, these people are unhappy, and these other ones approve. And it led to a point where I actually hit the room and went, wait a minute, I think, is it okay if I do this? I think what I really want Solus to approve of is you actually asking questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's one of the only, uh, he's, he's, he's kind of unique in that regard. What Solas approves of is people who are interested in finding out knowledge, whether they're finding it out from him or they're uh, talking with other people. Solus wants people to explore. He wants people to find information. He wants people to learn. Um, and what he really disapproves of, honestly, more than what you do, is in many ways how you do it. Um, mm-hmm. Are you doing it, you know, you can do the thing that he wants you to do, but if you do it in a, in a knee-jerk, it was the right thing to do, that's all that mattered, kind of way. That, Solus hates that. Um, he wants to know that you are carefully considering your options and taking a measured approach.
0: Mm-hmm. When it comes to the characterization of a character that you've already been given at least some sort of name to. You know, we know that this character is uh, some sort of trickster god. When you were trying to develop and make him a standalone character, did you ever have to rely on what the mythos already established of this particular uh, kind of eighth seed god that maybe a lot of people hadn't heard a lot about?
1: Um, well, I mean... I think like we talked about before, one of the great things about the Dragon Age universe is that everything that you learn in a Codex entry is something that someone else heard in a story and wrote down, and you're reading half of the book. Uh, so the good news on that is that anything we wanted to do with Fen'Harel, uh, there was so little, and what was in there was already so sketchy mm-hmm. that we, we had all the freedom we needed to play with him. Um, and that turned out to be a nice thing because I, I think if we'd had to, if if we had had someone who was completely by the books, um, you know, already established their character, already given, it would be it would it would feel like a, I think more of a letdown to write that as a character. Or you would have to uh, you would have to play against type. You'd have to have them mm-hmm. do something completely different to show that he wasn't just what the stories wrote about him. And you know, in some ways, that's. Uh, that's both liberating, but that's also disappointing for anybody who liked the original stories. Mm-hmm. So this was, this was a fun experience of getting to fill in some of the gaps. Um, I think the only thing that I felt like we had to struggle against was um, anyone who hears Trickster, or anyone who hears, oh, he's, he's, the, he's the chaotic and unpredictable, it feels like there's a natural urge to go to he's uh, he's Loki in the Avengers. He's the guy who's going to make large, grandstanding plans, uh, or you know he's the Riddler. He's going to leave clues to test you, and he's going to cackle madly. And we had to get away from that. I would say that was the one area where we kind of went. All right, let's let's tone that back a little bit. Let's uh, let's not have him be let's not have him be the uh, the Jack Nicholson Joker version of the Dread mm-hmm. Wolf.
0: Yeah, that's quite a quote. <laughs> <laughs> but you
1: know, because it would be easy to come. But it's like, hello. It would be, uh, you know, it would be. Well, you've got Dorian as a, as a, you know, as a large, grandiose, extravagant figure, and it would have been easy to have him go that way. Um, it was actually fortunate that we had Dorian as the as the mage who had the kind of larger-than-life persona already uh, to make Solas be the quiet one, I think.
0: Was there ever an instance where you were really pushed with giving some indicators to the player that Solas may have some connection to this god through the gameplay? Because you do see a lot of statues for Fen'Harel. There's many instances where you're discussing it, you're traveling through those lands... Where do you walk that line, I guess? How do you walk that line? Or do you just completely disregard it whatsoever?
1: Um, so the goal we had was um, we, wanted, we wanted the very careful players, the very sensitive players who were paying attention and watching every scene with Solace to know that something was up and to want more answers, uh, and, then to, and then to go, oh, man, as soon as the uh, stinger after the credits rolled. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but we wanted most players to just go, oh, okay, he's like fade nerd. He's like, he's like hippie guy. The other thing we wanted was we wanted everyone on their second playthrough, uh, as soon as they talked to Solus, to go, oh, man, he's just saying it. He just flat out said it right there. And I missed it completely the first time. Um, I think we call, we call it like inevitable in retrospect or, uh, or the slap the forehead on the second playthrough style of writing where yeah.
0: you
1: know, we, we wanted people to, to see, okay, he's, uh, the most interesting thing about the trickster god is he's not actually that great a liar. He is, he is almost telling you a lot of the time and, you know, some of the tragedy in it is that you never had the chance to ask the question that goes, wait, wait, are you Harrell?
0: <laughs> we talked about leaving breadcrumbs, what that meant.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now the big turn, the big scene at the ending. Uh, <laughs> where? How did this come about? Were you uh, really involved in that sort of process? And uh, are you happy with it?
1: Oh, I'm I'm absolutely happy with it. Um it went through several iterations um and it was mike was hugely involved the writing was uh definitely done by dave it was a huge crit path moment and um you know he he had me give a look at the solus voice but i don't i think i looked at it i don't believe i actually changed a single word um in 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 the final one um we had we had versions where after the main plot, it was going to be a full plot where you, the player, went and were actually present when uh, when Solus confronts Mithal. We had a part where we said, "Wow, that sounds that's too big. A lot of players are going to miss that. We need we'll make it a DLC, so it was going to be a separate DLC where that happened." Um, we had at one point we said, "No, this is." This is too big. we actually let's let's cut it and address it next game, so it's going to be this thing that we pushed off until you know into some future content um, and I'm really happy with what we went uh, what we went with because I think um, you know for my money, that short little um the short little Marvel style after the credit stinger um is what we needed. We needed something so that everyone who was paying attention and everyone who was really invested could look at that and go, oh, my my God, and go, okay, so just in case you were wondering, uh, we're not done. We have more stories to tell, and we are confident enough in what we are doing that we are willing to throw that ball um, you know, I, I, I guess I've been I'm talking a lot about football in this interview. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was just like, it, it, you know, that stinger is essentially us throwing a football to future us, trusting that we are going to catch it. Um, because, you know, at the end we had that level of confidence. We felt that we made a really good game. Um, it, you know, Dave led an amazing team of writers, and uh, and I'm really touched that he has the confidence to uh, to believe that I'll be able to carry that on for him. Mm-hmm.
0: When we spoke to Dave, uh, one of the big moments that he mentioned was when he created um, kind of a, a long-term idea for what's going to happen in the Dragon Age universe. And to hear him say it, he he mentioned that what he originally wanted for Dragon Age Inquisition couldn't happen. It was far too big. It, it just it wouldn't work. And that um, you guys had talked about taking that concept, finishing Inquisition somewhere in the middle of that concept arc, and then mm-hmm. using at least an influence or something on that to affect the franchise going forward. Uh, speaking with you now, as someone who's taken up the reins, you know, do uh, you know what I'm talking about? Am I, am I talking crazy? <laughs> and uh, where, do, where do you, I guess, see it going? Um, Reasonably, of which you can say, obviously.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well... Yeah, definitely. Uh, so here's the last scene of the next game. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think there is an extent to which no plan ever really survives contact with, uh, <laughs> with the audience uh, when it comes to video games. Um, so there are definitely things that we look at how fans react. We look at um, what hit what rang true with everyone, what things people just... uh, You know, it's funny. Having people react angrily actually isn't as bad as having people ignore things sometimes. Um, Having people react angrily means they were definitely emotionally engaged. uh, So you know you hit something there. Uh, Whereas having fans go, I don't know, fine, I guess, whatever, and move on means, okay, I'm not sure if that's what we want to go back to. We didn't actually... We didn't necessarily get anything from them there. They didn't... They didn't remember that later. Um, So that's a phase that comes after every game we ship. We look at what hit, what missed, um, and where we want to go from there. Now, that said, Dave's future plan uh, is, I think, fantastic, epic, and heartbreaking. Um, And our plan is to use that as our starting point, to look at where we want to go, what we want to do, um, and it will not be and I, you know, Dave and I have talked about this um, it will not be the story that Dave would tell if he were still here as lead writer um, because it could never be that uh, that was actually um, as we can get into that we talk about Cole a little bit but um, if I tried to do that I would just be doing a bad impersonation of Dave Gator and no one is ever going to be as good at that as Dave is. Mm-hmm. So, my goal going forward is to, as lead, put my own spin on that process, put my own spin on the plots going forward, on the thematic elements, while keeping those same thematic elements that we had. Because I think, you know, what Dave has set in motion over uh, three games, countless DLCs and expansions is something that can endure. You know, the idea that no choice is ever really that easy uh, and that, you know, the great events always stem from human understandable motivations. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think we're going to go, as (laughs) vaguely as I can
0: say. (laughs) Without saying this is exactly next. Um, Well, speaking specifically to Solas, you know, this... (laughs) So many people, I know you obviously can't answer about any sort of DLC that he's involved with, but his continuation of the story, I guess adding that little um, Marvel moment at the end, what do you think that did for the crit path and the overall, I guess, arc of the story that players experienced in uh, Dragon Age Inquisition? And do you think that maybe they would have been more satisfied if there was a DLC, or is that just us gamers uh, complaining because we can't get everything we want right away?
1: I think I think you want to leave people wanting more. Uh the word, you know it's it's man I wish you guys had done more is a better problem to have than man I wish you guys had done less. So I think you know uh looking at it from the inside from inside the studio we didn't have the resources to do much more than we did. So we were it was never going to be the big moment right then, anyways. Um, and from my perspective, the reason I'm really happy that we have it is, like i said it's I saw it as a vote of confidence. The team is still the Dragon Age team, and it is still you know, it is still the the writers and designers who did everything else um, you know who made such memorable characters and who were responsible for such fantastic plots
0: Mm-hmm. Well again uh, looking at that and in its completion it's it's good to see that even a character that uh needed to give you a stinger in your estimation didn't uh <laughs> didn't take away I guess from the overall story that you were trying to tell.
1: Well thank you. It was uh yeah I mean uh it was obviously it was the moment that we were that we were building toward but again the goal was that even if we'd never had that stinger he would have still been an interesting enough character that people would have uh would have not felt cheated that he was in the party.
0: One of the most beautiful scenes, I think, in Dragon Age Inquisition is the scene that you get with Solas if you play as a um, a female elf inquisitor. Talk a little bit about that choice to um, have this romance option very, very specific. It's It's race and gender specific. And I guess why that scene what what that scene meant and i guess a lot of the subtext because it's a very very rich sequence of scenes not just one and uh, i think it's really one of the most interesting romances uh in the game
1: well i i love that scene because that scene for me uh shows how far we've gone past (laughs) Uh, not to make myself um, irrelevant anymore, but how far we've gone with the digital acting. Uh, Jonathan Epp, the cinema designer for that scene, put it together. And when you take everything that uh, Gareth David Lloyd, the voice actor, uh, everything he did on his lines, um, just putting so much tragedy and making, making it clear in every line that he wants to say more than he can, um, and then with, uh, with John Up the Cine designer, just in the wordless scenes, showing the tragedy, uh, showing the heartbreak, showing how much he does genuinely care against his better judgment, and how he finally forces himself to step away. Um, you know how I said uh, when we were talking about the Iron Bull? You know, everything... Every major moment we do is there for a specific type of player fantasy fulfillment. And, um, you know, it's not (laughs) – not all types of fantasies are the happy ones. Uh, There's a reason that the Phantom of the Opera was on uh, Broadway for so many years. And it's not because it has a happy ending. Um, It's a – you know, the Phantom – "The Phantom of the Opera isn't exactly the theme for the romance. It was uh, the razor was something closer to um, almost professor and student in some ways. It was, he definitely comes across as a mentor in some ways. And when he finally steps back, it is him uh, him beating himself up, not you, saying, "Wow, what I have done here is actually really unfair to you." and you the player and and you player at the time don't know that I'm beating myself up because I'm actually thousands of years old and not the person you believe I am. And it's disrespectful to you for me to continue this romance. So it's, it's it's a, it's a a very moral perspective for our uh, ancient quasi evil trickster God to come with.
0: And it's amazing because it's another instance of content that so few players would actually get an opportunity to see, you know? It, it, when it comes to making it that specific, I guess, why was that choice made? Because usually a lot of your content, you can, most of the Dragon Age content, it's very easy to get really rich, wonderful characters right in your face and have those wonderful eat them up experiences. Why for this one? Was it uh, such a steep price to get in?
1: Um, you know, I won't lie, a lot of it. <laughs> came from um, some of our designers, um, some, of, some of the women in the design department really, really loving his voice and saying, you are absolutely fools if you do not make him romantable in some capacity. Yeah. Um, and really, his story overall... Is and you know I, I think we've only we've only hinted at that, but I think we have hinted at it enough that I can at least say this part of it. His story isn't a happy one. You know, his story is one where if you look at him in the fall, there is clearly some grief. There is clearly some tragedy, and adding in the option, even even if we never, you know, even for players who don't take it. On my end, as a writer, knowing that some players will have this as a star-crossed, uh, forbidden romance, you know, it makes him more sympathetic, and it's it's important to me as a writer because when you're writing about someone who, um, you know, according to Flemeth, is at least somewhat responsible for the bad guy getting the magical item that he used to blow up half a mountain in the prologue, Um, it's important to have something in there that you can always, as a writer, look at as your touchstone and go, this is a real person. This is someone who experiences sadness. This is someone who falls in love. Even if he doesn't do it with that inquisitor on that playthrough, this is always someone who can be like that.
0: Where do you see a character like Solas uh, ending up?
1: <sighs> Musical theater, I
0: see him. <laughs> you know, you'd stay right waiting. when we reach those beautiful moments, Patrick. <laughs> Damn it, we 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 went through it all. We we're talking about his the <laughs> deepest, darkest moments.
1: Oh damn! I I think that it is fantastic that people have emotionally engaged with Solus, and and I hope we get the chance to explore that in some future content.
0: All right, and that's most that we're getting uh, right <laughs> now. Oh, here's a little tie-in. Um, the Here Lies the Abyss. I believe I'm I'm labeling that, uh, mm-hmm. naming it correctly. Yes, the uh, the quest, the very important critical quest in Dragon Age Inquisition where you meet up, fight with and or against the uh the Grey Wardens. A nice natural tie-in, the demon that spoke to Solas. What was uh what was all that about? What's what was that going on if you bring him in? It's one of the instances for oh, those yes, listening. The, uh, yeah, even the, the,
1: the demon who speaks perfect Elven. Yes,
0: perfectly to him and uh you know, if you remember any of that, did you have anything to do with that?
1: Uh yes, yes. Uh Here Lies the Abyss was mine and um it was it was a fun plot. It was a terrifyingly difficult plot because um I'm not sure how clear this is to people who've only done one playthrough or uh or with one import state. But your key characters throughout the plot of um the events at Adamant Fortress and then the events in the fade, it's a customizable hawk Which means it could be male hawk or it could be female hawk. uh, From hawk being the protagonist from Dragon Age 2, and within that, um, you can hawk in Dragon Age 2 is characterized by one of three different voices, or one of three sorry one of three different attitudes, uh, basically friendly, grim, or uh, sarcastic. So that's three attitudes times two genders. That's six different hawks and. and three different possible Grey Wardens, Alistair, Logan, or Stroud. So the the process of going through Adamant fortress and then going through the Fade was a crazy juggling act of trying to keep track of, okay, now one of these five people, these five Schrodinger's Cat quantum people will say this line, and then another of these five Schrodinger's Cat quantum people will respond with this line. Mm -hmm. Um, So... It's important to remember that as we go, as we went through everything in Adamant Fortress and the Fade was, was taking place in that context. There was a long period of time where we were looking at that, really going, okay, I just have to hope that this actually makes sense when it's nothing but Alistair and my sarcastic female hawk. Mm-hmm. Um, but to actually answer your question... <laughs>
0: I was waiting, I'm here.
1: I know, I saw. Um, as I recall, the Nightmare, who, um, as a friendly chipper guy, was basically... I do I do basically two types of villains. Uh, I do the villain who thinks he or she is the hero and is uh, misguided and has opposed goals uh, and is kind of tragic and tortured in that way. And then I do the mean girl villain uh, who says snotty high school insults. That's,
0: that's it. That's, that's the gambit.
1: Well, just about, yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing who writes the villain in future Dragon Age games. Um, so get ready for either tragic pathos or really, really uh, good high school mean girl
0: zingers. <laughs> there we have it, the next game.
1: As I recall, he was speaking to Elvin to Solas, and if I remember right, he said, your pride is responsible for everything that has gone wrong. And I think he said you will die alone. Uh, And then Solas says something that translates to either um, nothing is known for certain or not necessarily.
0: And what does all that mean?
1: <laughs> well, I think it's fascinating that people are emotionally engaged. Mm-hmm. and
0: It was, it I was hope a, we a, have the a very asked question. It was a question that was asked a lot specific <laughs> oh, to I'm, that.
1: I'm not surprised. And I hope one day we can tell you. <laughs> but obviously that demon knows that Solus is hurting and that Solus feels guilty about some stuff. And really wanted to dig in there. And Solus was uh, shouting back.
0: So, literally, so just describing what happened. <laughs> All right. So, something that uh, clearly will be talked about uh, later in other games, or, or other. It'll be talked about later in Dragon Age. Uh, dealing with this particular quest, I really think that this was one opportunity to involve the Grey Wardens in a story and in a world that kind of progressively, after the first game, had less and less of a need for them to exist let alone in the world but in the main character's arc Um, talking to David I remember initially there was some idea for this particular mission that they would just fall into a hole and be in uh, the deep roads and hanging out with the dwarves yeah so tell us a little bit about that creation
1: yeah um, it's a lot of the process of writing these large, uh, these large plots is, like I talked about the razor, um, you figure out what the core concept is, you, you, you always start with a lot of things, and in most cases what you end up then having to do um, is cut. and. If you're not someone in the studio, talking about having to cut things makes it sound like you're losing awesome content, you are ruining what would have been clearly the best part of the plot. Um, Inside the studio, though, in most cases, what you're cutting is the stuff that didn't actually help tell the story you wanted to tell. Um, So yes, in the original version, uh, in a very early draft, actually this was before, before I was actually on the plot, um, predates me there was uh, yes going into the deep roads and um, when, when you fell in instead of ending up in the fade you ended up down in the dark and uh, finding out what the Grey Wardens in this version of the story had been involved with the architect from Dragon Age Awakening mm-hmm. um, and it was an interesting direction and it was I think a very cool direction um, but it didn't help tell the story of the Inquisition. It was it was more a story of, hey, if we wanted to do more with the hero of Ferelden, here's an interesting place we could go. Uh, and it did not help tell the story of what's the Inquisition doing? What is Corypheus doing? How do these two organizations bounce off each other and who's caught in the middle? Um, so trying to come to terms with the gray wardens in this game not being the not being the protagonists not being the group that is the center of the action but being a group that is caught in the middle of this power struggle um, was something that led to you know us having to eventually do the rejiggering that got us to the plot that you eventually saw
0: that is it for our conversation with Patrick weeks this week I'm really excited to see where Solus will go in Dragon Age 4. This conversation I had with Weeks was before the Trespasser DLC and the effects of that, so it is cool to see how a lot of what he said actually did come into play in Trespasser. So keep watching, keep listening, and hopefully I'll get a few more of these out before the end of 2019. Thank you so much for sticking around this far. I'm Andy Burkowski, and you're listening to Dialogue Wheel.